Aloha, warriors. Joshua Loya, a.k.a. Joshua the Jedi. You know the rest. Obviously, you recognize who I am. I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for listening, to invest your time each and every week into uh, diving into the conversations we get to have with some cool people about some awesome stuff. And because I don't want you to miss any of it at all, I would like you, please, to go to www.adventuremind.net slash join. That's www.adventuremind.net slash J-O-I-N and sign up for our email list. Don't worry, we're not going to send <laughs> your information to uh, the you know anybody. It's just going to be between you and those of us behind the show. And uh, but each week we're going to send you just one once a week. Uh, we're going to send you an email uh, about what's going on with the show. Uh, maybe a, some of the more recent episodes that you might want to check out. Maybe you might have missed, and uh, maybe a little extra. Maybe uh, you know a little thought that I might have, or, or something I'm reading or listening to, or or a question I'm pondering. And uh, just to give you a little thank you for investing in this show and the Adventure Mind movement with your time. So I'm not asking for any money, but I am asking you to sign up so we can make sure you don't miss any of what's going on. And, you know, uh, enjoy this this cool adventure that life has to offer and to be a bigger part of this growing movement of people who are doing difficult and scary things on purpose. So again, if you want to be a part of this, if you want to make sure you get the email each week and, and make sure you don't miss a single thing about what's going on with what we do here, I'm going to ask you again one more time, go to www.adventuremind.net slash join. That's www.adventuremind.net slash J-O-I-N. And as always, adventure is a state of mind. How you live it is up to you. Aloha Warriors, Joshua Loya, a.k.a. Joshua the Jedi, the Aspiring Servant Warrior. I have with me uh, a man who I haven't actually met, and thanks to the glory of coronavirus, I think, uh, we've made it, and uh, a man who I greatly respect since a William Ford who was on the show before, uh, Mr. Michael Mendoza, and I have made a connection, something positive over Facebook. Who would have thunk it, right? Who would have thought that? <laughs> How are you? I'm well. There's a yin to every yang, my friend. There you go. And thank you, you for having me here. Absolutely. And I, I think really, you know, I'm, I know a lot more people probably listening are more familiar with your background and your accomplishments. And I think the real reason I wanted to have you, there, there were a couple of reasons. Uh, maybe three, because one, uh, anybody who Sensei Ford has regard for, that's immediately, uh, you know, a notch in, in your positive column. But but also the uh, you know you you were willing to speak your mind over the course of the last year without being toxic, which is a really interesting balance I think. And then just honestly, your authenticity—you're out there, you're you're showing people what you've learned, um, and you're you're being honest about your life uh, to the extent that you want to share any of it in your martial arts journey. And there's you know there's a lot of fakeness. In, in the martial arts community, a lot of people who really like attention and a lot of people who, who can't really deliver. And I, I think that, uh, you know, there's an authenticity about you. And I, I appreciate that. And I think there's something to be really said for that. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And like I mentioned in our first communication, the older I get, the more authenticity matters, the more it you have to look at yourself and, and, and where you are and what you've done. And yeah, 
he can't fool anybody. Cool. Um, so I, I know this is always the weirdest thing to, to talk to a, a you know, fellow, uh, I guess, journeyer or whatever the proper term is uh, for the martial arts. Um, how did you get started as far as what's your, your general <clears throat> synopsis of your training diaries, if you will? Okay. Uh, we'll start at the very beginning because um, it, it ties right in to what you were talking about over the last year. And to be honest with myself, uh, to be authentic, uh, if you go back four years I wasn't as wise with my, I was ranting, I was crying, just like the rest of us. Um, and after getting that off my chest, realizing that it's a horrible reality, it's a, it is a reality, but it's not my reality. My yeah. reality, I am not affected by the border control. I'm not affected by the atrocities committed. But And, and so after I shot my proverbial wad, um, <laughs> I mellowed out and became, I became more of, detached my nerve endings and became more introspective about that. But my beginning of the martial arts happened in my first week of parochial school in 1968. And I went to Blessed Sacrament School in Hollywood, California. My sister, who was three years older than me, had been there for a few years, and it was my first year as a first grader. Um, and And it was a huge Catholic school. And my very first morning there, dropped off on the bus, uh, went in the crowded uh, courtyard before class started, and there was a ruckus, and everybody was going to this ruckus. And I just followed. I followed the crowd. And it just, as if a scenario was in a movie, I waded through (laughs) these bodies until I got to the clearing. Because they'd all made like this circle, 100 kids, ages 8 through 11 or whatever it was. And I'm um, eight through twelve, and uh, and I made my way through. And in the middle of this circle, this makeshift pit, there were two kids squared up, and they were about my age, probably my class or the class above me. And um, and one of them was African American, and one of them was not. I don't know if he was Italian. I don't know if he was Irish. I don't know, but he was not African American. And this crowd was chanting, um, a fight, a fight. The N-word and a white, just dropping the N-bomb, just dropping the N-bomb at this, with this, with this yeah. horrific chant. Yeah. And, and I thought to myself, in my ridiculous little eight-year-old mind, I thought, this kid's got to fight two fights right here at the same time. He's got he's to handle that other kid, and he's got to listen to this going on. And my father had told me about that word because my grandmother used that word, but she didn't use it in malice. She used it in ancient Mexican ignorance. And right. my father hated it. And he would tell me, don't ever use it. My grandfather hated it, but he yeah. wasn't going to speak up to his wife about it. Sure. Yeah, there's but, a certain level of keeping the peace at home. Pick your battles, I guess. You know? And, and, and it was a battle I picked with her, but to no avail. But, um, but he had taught me from, before that. That's a horrible sure. word. Never use that, blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't believe it and it it hit me um in the gut and so let's fast forward a day later and i'm reading a comic book on my porch i'm just in there reading a comic book and my neighbor who was a chinese lady uh, what we call a spinster back in the day um she was an unmarried 30 something chinese woman who we called Miriam milwaukee which i'm sure was a horrible mutation of her name but that's what we (laughs) called her (laughs) and um she came up to me and she said, do you like comic books? I said, yeah. She said, do you like the Green Hornet? And I said, I, I 
I've never heard of the Green Hornet. She goes, oh, she goes, it's a, it's a TV show. Um, if you want, I'll ask your parents if you can come and, and, and watch it with me. Um, I, think my, I, I think my folks watched Hogan's Heroes in that, you know, on that same night. That's, 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 like, how the fuck did they ever make that show? Can you imagine them trying to make right, that now? Right now, right? <laughs> right? I, it's, on, it's, on, it's on now and it boggles my mind. So it's for those of now. you who don't know, because, uh, you know, that, that is a little bit before some of our listeners' times. Oh, yeah. Hogan's Heroes, and I've seen like two episodes because uh, it was a little bit before my time it was somehow they made a comedy uh, of nazi soldiers in world war ii if i understand right is that yeah do i have that correct yeah and it's on basic cable you can watch it on uh, usa or something in the mornings uh it's amazing uh, it, um, isn't the holocaust hilarious michael isn't like, it isn't it and, and 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 the way they outwitted those wacky nazis um yeah it sucks but but now everything Everything now, as we digress, is is understanding that most of that culture was built around insensitivity. Most of yeah. that culture was built around ignorance, a yeah. willful ignorance, a wanton ignorance that was fun for us. And it's difficult. I asked my father the other day, continuing this digression, sure. I said, if, just as an example, if, if we know now that Columbus did not discover America, if we know now that this is the actual fact, what does it benefit us to keep that simple comfort of lying to kids, of, of maintaining that Santa Claus right. um, reality that isn't reality? It's yep. doing everybody a disservice. You know, um, my authenticity started when I when I heard superstar Billy Graham, the wrestler. Um, he made a comment. He made a quote. I think it was on the Merv Griffin show. He said, when lying to children about drugs is child abuse. And I expanded that to everything. Lying to kids about Anything is child abuse and lying to a student about a technique or about mm. your history or about whatever mm -hmm. is fucking child abuse, period. And every student is a child irrespective of their age. But um, so, yeah, Hogan's Heroes was is fucking ridiculous and it's still on TV. Um, but uh, so, yeah. So, so, so go, said, going back to the Green Hornet. and your yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I went to her house that Friday or whatever it was. And I sat down cross-legged in front of this little black and white TV. And it was as if she pointed my head at the screen. And then when Keita came on, she said, that's Bruce Lee. She goes, he does Kung Fu. Um, and I saw this little Chinaman, as we used to say, in, uh, in loving affection. Right, you know, right. It was actually not really racist to say back then, oddly. It wasn't because that's what they did. It wasn't and, considered pejorative anyway. No, and, and especially I did it in homage of Kwai Chan Kane who was, right. you know, the ultimate right. Chinaman. Yep. But, um, but I saw this little guy doing what I wanted to do to that crowd. You know, I saw him beating up the big bad guy. I saw him and it just captured my imagination sure. from day one. And, um, and then the next April, my parents asked me what I wanted for my birthday and I said Kung Fu lessons. And they had absolutely no idea what Kung Fu was. They, you know, they knew what Judo was or what Karate was because I was just starting to make its way right. into the culture. But I wanted Kung Fu lessons. And so... You know, my father being my father, figured it out, found it out. And by the time I was 10, 10 and a half, I was um, studying in a coon. Oh, and what do you, I mean, a lot of us don't really know what we were doing when we were kids. We just vaguely, there, were kick, there was kicking and punching. It depends on how long you stuck with it. Do you remember what variant of Kung Fu that you were studying with Absolutely. Way back when? Absolutely. And there was... Kicking and punching was all there was, and there was very little of that. Um, I went in with my father when I was about nine and a half, and uh, because it took us that long to find a place that was actually Kung Fu. And the instructors wouldn't take me. They said, well, we don't have children here. And But they had one, but he was the son 
of the Shifu. And uh, so they allowed me to watch. And I could, they said, well, you know, I don't remember the verbiage as I was like almost can. Uh, right. But they made an agreement that if I would sit there and watch for a year until I became 10 or 12 or whatever, then they'd let me start training. And so I would go in every week. I'd go in every week for two, two, two sessions a week and sit there for two hours and watch the grown-ups do Gong Fu. And it was magical to me. It was more impressive than anything I'd ever seen. I just couldn't, my eyes couldn't fathom what I was watching. And it was what it was. It was a five-animal Gong Fu. It was five-animal okay. uh, classical Gong Fu. But the two instructors had been really influenced by uh, Jimmy Wu, Sun Tzu. You know, he okay. had just come into Los Angeles and he just started doing demonstrations with Frank Woolsey. And my two Shifu saw that and caught it and said, well, th- this guy's really practical, right? And so there was a lot of Jimmy Wu this, Jimmy Wu that, Jimmy Wu, even though it wasn't a Sun Tzu kun. Um, so yeah, they, so they understood the practical, the necessary practicality. The need for practicality, that it's not, the need for you know, there's something... Something beautiful about kata, but certain things maybe it's not, and we can get into that too. But have you watched you Cobra make Kai? Sure that you're, what's that? Have you watched Cobra Kai? I oh, have. I'm sorry, watched. You know what I mean? Ah, yeah. nah. I no, I, I use oh. I use cited words. I basically I, the way use I figured is Good. yeah. Well, the way I figured Good. is this: it's a cited world. If it's a visual medium, I'll say watch. Technically, okay, you know, you really want to get nitty gritty. I didn't, but no, I don't worry about that stuff. Well, I've, I've owned, I never finish anything as far as a series. Right. Someday I'll de- delve deep into why. But I did make it through uh, like seven or eight episodes of Cobra Kai, which I thought was amazing. It's a fantastic series. But um, Daniel-san says something at one point when the kid says, well, that doesn't look much like karate. And he said, well, a blueprint doesn't look much like a car either. Mm-hmm. But, but it's still necessary in the fabric of the, you know, sure. if it's a martial art, you can get shadow boxing, you can be a fighter, you can be a combat fighter, you can have all kinds of, without kata. But if you are a gung fu artist or a karate artist, kata is part of the fabric of what you do. And you better pressure test. You better not rely on your kata or the old bullshit stories that, oh, all you have to do is kata. That's a rare individual. That's a psychopath. If, if you, yes, <laughs> one out of every several million can learn a video online and then go out and crush somebody's skull. <laughs> but, that, but that's well, the exception, here's the thing. The Here, here's the real secret to the guy that can watch a video and then right. go apply it. Right. Almost never is there an exception. The, the people who can actually watch a video and then go apply it have been in real fights before. Right. Right. You know, right, right, right. if yes. you know, like if somebody is never. Um, you know, there's a, there's some uh, teachers that I've studied with that some of them have had to go long gaps between, you know, training with uh, somebody who's more senior to them. But the the reason they can apply video lessons is because they still do regularly train with other people and they have had multiple decades of training with real people. And then, yeah. so it, 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 there's a huge difference between somebody who's never taken a single lesson in their life watching, like the uh, as practical as the Gracie material is. I don't care if you don't have a training partner and you're watching the the, the Gracie Combatus video until you have somebody you can train with. Don't count on it working the first time out in, on the street. No, until you have several people you can yeah. train with. Yeah. You know, um, with respect to grappling. It may be true of stand-up, I don't know. Yeah. But I know specifically for grappling, the way to consistently get better is to have three training partners. You have to have three. You have to have somebody you can crush, 
somebody you can absolutely crush. You have somebody that makes you work and occasionally takes you. And then you have somebody who can crush you. If yep. you have those three people, you'll constantly move. Yeah, in, because your mind will always be analyzing advantage, disadvantage, you know, optimum position, inadvertent position, all that shit. Well, and th- and then there's also body composition differences, right? You know, yeah, like, you know, yeah. My, yeah, my yeah, favorite because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm about six foot, hundred and mid one eighties. You know, one one eighty seven. Last I checked, lean man. And, and, Are you long? Well, Are you lanky? Uh not really. I actually could probably should probably bulk up. Truthfully, but, okay. Um, but regardless, um, you know the toughest guys for me to grapple in like in a BJJ class are the Ooh. little like compact five foot four yeah. wrestlers Suckers. that can just destroy me but it's what do, you, what do you grab what do you grab and, and they frustrate you right off the back because they're scampering around you, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah although it is yeah. funny though if you it, but you know you get somebody who's a wrestler and you get them in a jiu-jitsu class you get them on their back and they freeze up because they don't realize they can still do stuff but <laughs> i have a, a friend slash student um who he's a great wrestler he's a very strong kid he's an actor singer blah 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 right but um he went into jiu-jitsu here jiu-jitsu here in california at uh, alberto crane's legacy and was immediately tapping out blue belts then he would come to you know he was training in kung fu with me and right. he was telling me man my professor is always saying uh quit using your strength quit using your wrestling you know and i told him well he, he needs you to invest in loss because you're only learning a half a technique if mm-hmm. you're able to apply it because you're this brute athlete yeah and he was about he was compact. He was, uh, you know, he is, I should say, five seven. You know, one hundred sixty pounds, short everything. It's hard to get anything on him. <laughs> well, it, it, and it's it's funny too. Um, and I, and you know, we're, we're kind of meandering, and that's okay. I actually like the kind of organic conversation there. Um, I'll get but, back to whatever you want me to get back yeah, to. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll get there. Uh, Joel Tudor, who's been my primary uh, jujitsu instructor. Um, he's kind of coming through the, he trained with, uh, Rodrigo Madera through the, uh, Carlson Gracie yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. down that direction. So, yeah. you know, he's, he's one of the guys who doesn't have regular like testing times. He just like, when you're ready, he'll, you'll be in the middle of grappling. He'll beat you over, he'll hit you over the back and here's your belt. Yeah. But he specifically has stalled a couple people, um, you know, for a while there, uh, that they were slaughtering in in uh competition but he 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 halted them there kind of stalled them out in terms of advancing them because the reason they were winning wasn't because they were winning with jujitsu they were winning with all of the wrestling they had done i mean the, the guy was a previously like collegiate level wrestler right and he was just so good of a wrestler that was why right. he kept winning no gi competitions because he was so good at wrestling but he wasn't right. using jujitsu techniques and it's so it's fine that you want to compete at the blue belt level that's great but if you want to get your purple belt you're going to learn the purple belt stuff and i think I, that's exactly think that's right fair. exactly right it's better it's more than fair it's necessary you know if it's all about yeah and and i've seen it i've seen you know black belts just get furious because a big bodybuilder just held their face in the ground and there was absolutely nothing you can do you know yeah. okay great you're a great 172 pound uh you know, jujitsu guy, but you're fighting a guy who's 285, you know, five foot nine, and he can literally pinch your head like a grapefruit. Um, You can't get mad about that. Well, and that's where, see, that's where jujitsu needs, if if it's for self-defense, if what your primary objective is, is self-defense. Hang on, I just unplugged myself. No, your microphone's good. Then, then sportive competition isn't enough. 
Yeah. It, it, it's really, um, it's almost oxymoronic. If what you're looking for is self-defense and sportive uh, efforts aren't enough to do it, and also absence of competitive sportive efforts is also not efficient. You have to have pressure testing. That pressure testing has to have a consequence. Otherwise, like you said, the people that can succeed, if they've only seen it on a video, are the people that have been in a fight. The people that had a bloody nose, the people that understand what it means to exchange yeah. bodily fluids. Um, but uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got to have both. You got, you've got to have the, um, the technique that's going to make you a, a black belt or a professor or whatever they call them, a shifu. Um, but you also have to have that pressure test where you've been in situations and you can conceive of situations. If I'm in the street and I'm fighting somebody who's going to grapple me and they're going to take me down and I sense right away that that takedown is going to be excellent, <laughs> you know, you know the quality right. of the person, then I'm going to do what I can to disrupt the flow prior sure. to us hitting the ground. So he may be a better grappler than me, but what we're going to find out when we hit the ground is how much better he is with his eyes all scratched up and bleeding, you know, and that's, and that's what we're going to have happening. Um, I tell myself defense students, when, when when you have a huge opponent, you, which you also have huge orifices. If I, I, I uh, uh, did bouncing work, I did you know doorman work and all that stuff yep. when my children were little to make ends meet. And when I saw big, and I bounced like cobble bars, biker bars, college bars, a big person has big nostrils, big eyes, big holes that you can start with in order to facilitate a finishing move. You can do catastrophic damage to a damaged opponent. Now, now, to that end, though, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this at you because I've seen a lot of people who, and, and, and thankfully, I, I was very fortunate. And so my, my background is, is Kempo. Um, and I know that's a broad term because... <laughs> Ed Parker Kempo? Uh, no. Um, so uh, my uh, teacher, uh, Scott Conway, uh, he branched off. He was originally in Karaho Kempo. Then he had background in Kajikempo. Karaho. Um, but then yeah, he... Yeah. he, he uh, he he ultimately had a, a uh, differing of opinion with uh, um, Grandmaster Koha. So um, you know he still has a lot of respect for him, but he went in a different direction. But in any case, he was really big on exploiting uh, groin and sensitive targets. But he was also really clear on not expecting just being able to do a groin kick or just being able to do that stuff as being enough. You you can't. You know the, the the idea that you have to know your leverage and you have to know your basics, but you know, and so you you, you can't um, you can absolutely use your sensitive targets like you're saying, but you also have to know your basics. So if something, oh. if the reason you're not gonna, uh, you know, if you have to use like a hair pull or an eye gouge or whatever in a fight, that's fine, but make sure you know how to follow it up because if you gouge somebody's eyes out. And you don't know how to follow it up. That's just going to piss them off. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and and you're never going to gouge somebody's eyes out. If you gouge somebody's eyes out, you're psychotic. Um, but the the <laughs> you're the problem, not the solution. Right. But um, but yeah, exactly right. You have to know that this 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 kind of disruptive uh, is only going to affect your ability to create a more catastrophic. It's like okay, in in jujitsu, as you know, it. it, it it's about once it's happened, once it's engaged, once you guys slap hands, pump fists, and get to rolling, it's about advancing your position a little bit at a time. 
If you're in a, if you're in a disadvantaged position, you're not going to jump from step one to step eight, leap up that staircase. You're going to have to advance yourself slowly, especially like you're saying, what about different body types? You got yep. somebody who's 250 fat pounds laying on top of you. You're going to have to frame up on your elbow. Then you're going to have to yep. hit your hip. Then you're going to have to frame up on your thigh. Then you're going to have to do all these things just to create little pockets for breathing, you know, and then you're going to have to move and move and move and advance. So if you have the ability to knock somebody out before they get into a dangerous range, beautiful. You got a big overhand, right? You got a big, whatever, a big, uh, uh, you know, roundhouse moshi to the thigh, something that first preemptive yep. strike that's going to knock them make out. Them he- or even if it's just going to make them hesitate. Right. And then, but you have to know if it, what it did, because you have to know how you follow that up. You have to know when the defense becomes an assault and you have to know, uh, like you say, when all you did was piss him off. If you rake across somebody's face and just draw big four, big furrows down his cheek, man, now you got a really pissed off rapist. And now you either better be able to inflict catastrophic damage or you're going to be raped, murdered, cut up whatever the hell sure. they intended when you decided to scratch their face. Um, so when when it goes for those kind of things, and they must be used preemptively. Every time we see like a, 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 a Wing Chun master or a Tai Chi master get their ass kicked by um, Xu Xiaodong or, or right. any of these other guys that are exposing the truth and opening the windows, um, they're trying to use pressure points and they're trying to use gouges when they're in the middle of combat. This is escalated to I punch you, you punch me, I kick you, you kick me. Those things are preemptive i knew he was going to hit me so i hit him back first and 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 then it either will or it won't and you have to have that you have to have that haymaker sitting in wait you know uh in case it didn't what's your take on since we're talking about the the um you know tai chi masters and more traditional people that you know getting their asses kicked what's your take on some people's you know some people's opinions they're just bad representatives of their art forms it's not that their arts are bad necessarily What's the difference? Well, so I've heard some people say that most people don't, when they talk about like Tai Chi, they learn Tai Chi as, they don't learn it in the context of actually being able to apply it. They they basically like, if you don't know how to fight, Tai Chi is not going to help you. But if you know how to fight, Tai Chi can augment is kind of the basically the, the 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 take that I've heard uh, a couple people more traditional people and I've even heard um, there's a guy Ramsey Dewey he's out of China who's I love him I yeah. love I love yeah, I, I love watching his stuff but he yeah. that's his, his take is that there are guys who are uh, Tai Chi practitioners and he he said he had like an 80 year old guy come and he yeah, wasn't trying yeah, to throw that. like uh, yeah. you know energy balls or whatever at him he but yeah. he was effectively using the body mechanics but he was applying the art correctly. Yeah. versus, you know, some guy who had a misperception of what the art was for. Yeah. Do you think that that's a, how much of a part do you think that's taken a, uh, taken into account it, with some every, of that? Every, it, it, everything, back to the beginning, yes and yes and yes and no. I don't know what the hell you just said. I'm kidding. Okay. You. Oh, right, no, but I'm what's kidding. your take oh. on it as far as, it, it, as, far as the, the poor this. representative yes. versus the poor, poor art? 100%. Um, you know, it's the yin and the yang. The The reason that the representatives are, are inefficient in combat is because the art has eroded to where combat is not the priority. And when they, uh, when they take the stand within their limited martial culture that combat is going to be the priority, that combat is, is a shell of combat. It's a shadow of combat. It's a, it's a situation of um, 
So it's a dojo, what some people might refer to as a dojo technique. It works because that's the response that that people use when they're practicing that technique. 100%. And no matter how strong you are and tough you are, anything introduced that's foreign to that understanding is going to give you problems. Perfect example. One of my, my first karate was Kyokushin. And I trained in Kyokushin. Oh, that's a brutal style of karate too. Brutal style of karate. It's a magnificent style of karate. Uh, But... One is what is one of the, the primary rule of Kyokushin Kumite is you cannot punch the face, right? Oyama Choi wrote straight from uh, Taekwondo, you know, yep. and so you can kick the body as hard as you want, you can kick to the head as hard as you want, you can punch the body as hard as you want. World, you world of reckoning if you end up getting in the ring with a boxer. <laughs> well, here's and watch, watch footage. I was going to make a video right. on this, but I haven't figured out all the editing parts of it. Um, you watch a guy will take just massive roundhouses to the thigh and incredible kicks. And then his opponent will touch his face and he'll go Vlade Divac. Our, your fans won't know who that is. They right. will flop. They'll flop and they'll grab their face and they'll roll around the mat like you shot him in the head with a 44. And they got, if you can't take a punch in the face, that's a problem. That's a problem right yeah. there. No the, matter the, the how gap. good. Yeah. If your mind, if your mind doesn't understand what that is, that's a problem in your combat. That's why pressure testing within dojos is a problem as a general rule. So we'll go back to Tai Chi Chuan. Tai Chi Chuan. I love Tai Chi Chuan. And I agree 100% framing it this way. Okay. If, if, whether you start with Tai Chi or not, if you do Tai Chi Chuan and you've done Tai Chi Chuan for 10, 15 years and you've done push hands and you've done competitive push hands where you've tried to kind of do this sumo thing with somebody else. And right, then you, you get leverage or different position, right? Yes, precisely, precisely. You have to unbalance the other person. It's a wonderful, wonderful sport. Okay. Um, but then you go into a boxing ring and you put on a pair of gloves. You get your ass kicked for two years. You allow yourself, you invest in a loss. Yep. You, you might try a few Tai Chi things and get knocked out. You might not. But after that two years, what's going to happen is those compartments of your brain where you put that Tai Chi, it, it put it to a compartment of your brain that is titled awaiting further light. You never forget that. You did it for so long in your life. It's, it's burned into your sure. mind, body, and spirit. But it's been put in a category of waiting for Now you have that further light. Now you have two years of combat training. Now you've had seen jabs. You've seen double leg shoots. You've seen overhands. You've seen whatever. And now your body will integrate and your mind will integrate that. And so you may, as Ramsey D. said, you may be able to pull off a, um, a, a grass sparrow's tail. You may be able to catch a foot and swing it like the uh, baseball bat takedown exactly perfectly because you're right. attached. This is well, staying with Tai Chi. This is the biggest problem with all of the Tai Chi masters approach. Not, not their history. Oh, they didn't learn how to fight. Blah, blah, blah. But the approach. The approach is Tai Chi Chuan says attach, adhere, and follow. This is the greatest secret of combat. The master boxer. A great fighter can create openings, but the master boxer realizes inadvertent position of advantage. In order to realize yep. inadvertent position of advantage, you must be attached. You must attach. You must adhere. You must follow. You must be one. And so they think that as a concept and it has all this fluffy philosophy and it sounds brilliant. But I'll use an example of a horse. You're trying to catch a runaway pony. You're not going to zen that pony into stop running. 
You've got to get into a horse. You've got to catch that pony, be running exactly as fast as that pony. Then you can jump on that pony, but you're side by side on a horse that's running just as fucking fast. And then you can jump onto that pony. And then once you get the rhythm of that pony, you can start to reduce that speed. But only once you've attached, you've adhered, and you've followed, then you can take control. Honestly, one of these Tai Chi dudes coming out here shucking and jiving with the boxer. Or on his toes with yeah. the uh, wrestler. I see them come out with their arms floating like they were doing the taolu, the form. And you better attach. You attach to your opponent. If your opponent is dancing, you better be dancing starting out. And, or whatever, you know, the uh, comparable analogy is. Sure. So that's the biggest misunderstanding about Tai Chi. Tai Chi is, yeah, it's beautiful boxing when you can apply it to the rest of your syllabus of combat. Well, and and I, I I think beautifully said, and I and this is a, a further thing. Uh, the, so my my same Kempo instructor said this, where he has less of an issue with um, somebody who has you know maybe their backgrounds just for competition, as long as they're honest about oh. what their art is supposed to do. Right. right. So, so really, and, and I and I think I've kind of internalized this. I mean, granted, I, I, I studied with the guy for over 14, fifteen years. Um, it's more long distance training now because you know he's he's out in the uh, middle of the country. I'm still in California, but um, if somebody says I do Tai Chi and I I'm not interested in the combat aspects and really just do it because I'm 85 and I'm trying to keep my joints from hurting, got no problem with that. No problem. If somebody says that my art is designed for self defense, but it is impractical, then I got an issue. If you say, because, you know, judo has relevance to self-defense in terms of some of the mindset that you learn and, and absolutely if you get your handholds, but it doesn't take into account striking so much. But if somebody says, hey, you know, I do judo, it helps me a little bit with these other things, but it allows me to do X, Y, and Z, and it keeps me from panicking if I am in a physical situation, that's fine. If somebody says, my art is the greatest thing ever and it doesn't have any weaknesses, well, then I call bullshit. <laughs> so. Bullshit. Bullshit. And thank God, you know... Um, I can't even tell you the layers of bullshit that didn't get penetrated because because it wasn't available, because there was no internet, because people just accepted right. it, because it was all new in the game, and anybody could hang a, a banner, anybody could hang a shingle and say they were whatever. Um, yeah. Exactly. Oh, I mean, like now, I, you know, lights on I could go get a really good graphic designer, make a really impressive certificate, and unless somebody's a martial artist and actually researches who I stay, trained with, they have no idea if I'm any good. Oh, and you would get you could get a great clientele, uh, scorched earth, burn through a lot of cash before anybody ever found out because there were enough gullible people out there that I ran a McDojo for a few years, you know, um, as part of my journey. And looking back, one of the things that astonished me is how many upper middle class parents are willing to just drop their kids off and leave them with somebody that they just met every day of the week sure. for, for as long as it's convenient for them. And uh, yeah, and my ex-McDojo partner had a very dark history, which nobody knew about at the time, and I found out about later. But that's a story for a different... Uh, <laughs> so that's a, a hey, you, know, you don't have to get into the dark dark stuff all the time, but, but I, I, it is interesting for me. Is, is So my, my wife and I uh, inherited all of the, the students that were remaining, or basically the, the representatives for Guardian Kempo here in, in San Diego, and the only ones, you know, at the moment. We didn't inherit the system. He's still keeping it going. But as far as the only people who have active students right now, it's it's basically us, which is really surreal, wow. um, only being 15 years into this thing. Right. Um, but the what's interesting to me, though, is we have a handful of students that we're working with 
sort of on the quiet. I mean, you know, obviously people could look at the podcast, um, but weird times as far as working with people at the moment uh, yeah, for is. obvious reasons. But, you know, this this uh, this woman we ha- we're working with her six year old son. You know, she's she's known us for about a year, but she she basically just left her son at our house for like an hour. Six year old son at our house, and all I can think of is I'm really thankful that my wife and I are good people. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? So right. Because you never know. I listened to a couple of your podcasts and you came uh, were um, uh, being very genuine with your past as a child with your uh, stepmother. Yeah. You never know. Uh, I'm sure that there's a ton of people that would have left their kids with her. Sure. Sure. Uh, so, I mean, it, it is an interesting thing. And, and thankfully, there are some good people who, you know, am I the absolute best sensei that somebody could possibly ever have i don't know but it's my responsibility to be the best one i can be when you come to learn from me though what you know so if i teach something to you it better work it better better be some and i better better represent it accurately amen that's the most important thing go ahead you know so if i teach you a cool kata and i don't really understand the bunkai but you think it's really cool and you know i know it i don't have a problem teaching it, I prefer not to. I want to teach something where I, ha- I can give you some application. But if I teach you something, I want to make sure that I'm representing itself. There's this, there's a thing that I've seen and thankfully I've been really fortunate with the students, with the teachers I've trained with, um, that nobody has misrepresented themselves. That's, but that was, I mean, that, that's a but, blessing. It's fantastic. It's lucky if you want to use that term. Sure. A gesundheit. But, um, <laughs> The most important thing is, I don't think anything's a coincidence. It was part of your journey. It was a sure. necessary part sure. of your journey, like everything else. You know, you, 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 you do see the inti- instructors. Yeah. You do see the sensei that want to make sure that everybody knows they're the sensei. Yeah, and, and you know, like we've all seen Napoleon Dynamite, but there are senseis like that. Absolutely, <laughs> yeah, Rex Quando. <laughs> Absolutely. We actually, when when I was like a, I don't know, I was like a yellow belt or something. There was a guy that has been training for a while, and his name was Rex. And he was like, he was like 40 years old. I was like my late twenties. And, uh, I asked him if he had ever seen Napoleon dynamite and he said no. And I couldn't, it was like two weeks of training with the guy before I could go into class and not laugh when I got partnered with him. (laughs) Oh yeah. Insane. I, that's one of the films where I kind of proselytized for it. I took students of mine to go see that. I would take, I took a four one time. I took an 80 year old woman at one time and just, I said, you haven't seen it. We got, you got to see this. And and we would track it. I did it with that and with, um, inside out. Okay, or, I haven't actually yeah. seen Inside Out yet. Yeah. I think that's in Disney Plus, so I can fix yeah, it. That's, so. that, yeah, that, that, that's Pixar. And that was another where I, every every student I knew that needed to have their mind expanded at that moment, <laughs> I sure. took them to see that film. Is, is there a is just a good movie, or is there like another, another like ridiculous uh, martial arts nod in that one? Um, Inside Out? Yeah. Uh, no, that, that that's, about the, that's about being sad. It's about okay. embr- embracing every part of you. It, it, Pixar is just so amazing at nailing that shit. 
You know, they really did. I cry when I watched some of that. I mean, like when I saw hey, like uh, like like amen. Toy Story is not a yeah. you know I don't you know no I can't even continue that series because it's so sad and depressing <laughs> in a beautiful way. But sure. I'm you know yeah I'm a raw nerve. I mean I don't want to see a puppy eating his first apple and crying. I don't want to see that. I'm glad it happened. You know right but, right. But yeah, I attach too much to pain, which is you know why I got into the martial arts. So, so from uh, from kung fu onward, I'm, I'm, we can kind of keep weaving in and out. No problem. So you, you, so the so, kung uh, fu so you got going to kung fu and yeah, it's pretty practical for, stuff overall. But about three and a half years, or I'm sorry, about almost three years, about two and a half years, okay. two, two years, eight months, and then the kun shut down, the studio shut down, just like everything else in those days. They were great um, instructors. They were terrible business people. They smoked pot in the front of the you know dojo, but or kun whatever studio, right? Um, and it shut down, <clears throat> and I I only. I'd never gotten to spar with them. The, I would ask all the time once I was 12. At 12 years old, I said, okay, I can start sparring with you guys now. And one time, uh, Shifu called over one of the adult students and said, Michael wants to see what sparring looks like. <clears throat> and I can only describe this as two guys crashing into each other, you know? And at one point, Shifu got in a deep horse stance and the student jumped up on his thigh and was standing on his thigh, pecking at him like a bird while Shifu was striking up at him. And obviously they were doing that for my benefit, but it was impressive. And um, the closest I got to sparring there was in the Thursday adult class, they would do kind of a soccer game with a medicine ball. And you, it was, okay. full, it was full contact soccer with a medicine ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then I went to Kyokushin because the, the studio shut down. Right, and right. my dad took me around everywhere. And I was such a kung fu snob. We went to the Chuck Norris studios, the Tracy Kempo studios, the Ed Parker studios, uh, Taekwondo in Burbank, Judo in Torrance. Just, he was just driving me everywhere to try to find something I liked. And, um, and then a friend of mine was studying Kyokushin Kai at the YMCA in Burbank. And he was a friend in school. So I said, okay, let's try that out. And first class, I'm sparring. And I'm a white belt. And I'm with 13 other white belts. And they've got us lined up. And the last 15 minutes of class, we're sparring. And I told my dad, I love this. He said, I love it too. It's the YMCA. It was like $15 a month. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so, yeah, economically. It's like win for both of us. Right? It was win-win. Um, so yeah. So Kyokushin until I went in the Navy at 17. And at How the end of that... Go ahead. I was just curious how much you think your martial arts experience helped you while you're in the service. Honestly, um, it helped me make friends. It helped me uh, be popular, the big guy on campus. Um, but the few scuffles that I got in in the Navy, I wasn't uh, primarily a part of it. And so I, I was always, you know, a bunch of Marines are sitting in a bar and a bunch of sailors walk in and I was on a submarine. And, and so the highest ranking, <laughs> the highest ranking person with us would go, dive, dive. And we jump in and start hitting, you know, it was a bunch of 17 to 20 year old idiots. Well, and this is back in the day still. 77, you know, 78. Yeah, I mean, where you could still kind of do that. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, could. Like, you, you, you could do anything. get into fights back then. And, Everything. And it, it, you know, it was. Captain got into fights with now. us. It's a totally different game and better, way better. I won't defend anything about those idiotic mentalities. They were growing pains. You know, there's sure. nothing proper about the movie Porky's. And like you said, there's nothing funny. <laughs> there's nothing funny about Hogan's Heroes. Um, but so, yeah, so I did it in the Navy. I really didn't 
at the, uh, digressing or backpacking sure, on the yeah, backtrack. Yeah, all good. All um, good. So when I got my brown belt in Kyokushin Kai, I started having those funny feelings, you know, like the seven year itch or whatever. And so I started like playing around. I took off my belt and I'd go into other dojos and I'd represent myself as a rank beginner with no experience whatsoever. Right. And I, you just kind of wanted to see. Yeah. And I landed in a Shotokan studio, a JKA, and loved it. And so Two nights a week, I'd be doing Kyokushin. Two nights a week, I'd be doing Shotokan. And, you know, getting all Ds <laughs> in high school as I was getting ready to go in the Navy. Right. So then I went in the Navy. But I really didn't start to understand practical application at any kind of a reasonable level until after I got out of the Navy. And How long were you in for? Four years, four months, and okay. 22 days. <laughs> right. Remember that well. Uh, oh man, three uh, patrols and one flex ops on a nuclear submarine. But um, but I got out and I wanted to be a fighter, a boxer, and so I started training at the LA gym, uh, the Olympic gym in LA, <clears throat> and uh, and then my mother, who had a business, who was my parents had been divorced since I was young, since I was twelve, and sure. she okay. hated the idea. She had a business in Central California. She hated the idea of me being a fighter, and so she kind of lured me away with the opportunity uh, to be a businessman. You know, to learn her business, to take over her business, blah, 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 blah. And at the time, it was a good idea. I didn't have anything else going on in my life. Um, and it sounded like a way to make money, and fighting wasn't going to make me money for a couple of years. Um, yeah, and it's so, a long-haul investment, really. It's a long-haul investment. Not. You got to mount a campaign, you know. Yep. And, and, and I do believe I could have. I honestly, and my brother-in-law to this day, it's a shame you didn't. Boy, you were good. Boy, it would have been wonderful to see how far you could have gone. But And and I know I could have mounted a campaign. Could I have fought for a title? Probably. Could I have won a title? Nobody goddamn knows. Um, could I have busted my face <laughs> on the way up? Yup. Could I have gotten knocked out by a, a clubber on the way up? Yup. Anything can happen when you're mounting that campaign. You sure. know? When I fought in tournaments for all the years I fought, and still to this day, I go yep. into the ring knowing two things, knowing I, if I do everything right, if I execute, if I'm clear, I can win this. I can beat anybody on any night. And I know the absolute opposite is true. <laughs> I know that on yep. any given night, this yep. gentleman can be more clear than me, quicker, sharper, faster, whatever. Um, and that that's story. I thought when I boxed a little bit later on after I'll go back to this, well, no, I'll go in order, chronological order. So I went sure. to Modesto. And I did this, but um, I also wanted to teach karate because I was a black belt. And that's my big dream was to do that for my whole life, teach martial arts. Ever since I was 12, I knew I wanted to do that. Um, and so I started teaching. I met a friend and he wanted me to teach his Kempo. He was a, a Hank De La Vega, was a fourth degree black belt under Ed Parker, Ed Parker's Kempo okay. system. Right. And um, so I started teaching with him at this racquetball club in Modesto. And I started having these karma pangs. Like, you know, I've never tried this shit. I don't know. Oh, this work? Oh, yeah, it'll work. You know, if you do this, you do this, you hit this nerve, and you hit this blah, 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 and you twist this wrist, and you sweep this leg. I didn't know. It'd never been pressure tested. The few times I've been in the ring, I had the hell punched out of me, and I'd punched other people really hard, but I'd never tried any of this. And um, so I told my wife, I said, I need to pressure test this stuff because I don't want to teach a lie. Because right. you want to make sure that if, it's if gotta work. one of your students does what you taught them to do the and way you taught work. them you want to make sure it works now it if must. they don't do what you taught them but you taught them correctly well that's on them but if right. they do everything you know that's a huge distinction i, I hate it when i hear i hate it when i hear people uh that say oh i did what my teacher taught me and it didn't work no 
you barely went to class and you remembered it sort of badly yeah. and you got your ass kicked because you didn't practice. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's yes. a difference. Yes. And you didn't. Yes. And there, just as there's a difference between a sequence and a drill. When I go into a dojo and they're saying, well, we're drilling this. No, you're not. You have a compliant partner. You have a compliant partner and that's not a drill. That's a sequence. When you're drilling, you have, a, in, in my humble opinion, in my school, you have a graduated amount of a uh, of resistance. It starts with a little bit of resistance, then a greater resistance, and then this thing will find its place. It'll stand at its own strength or it'll fall at its own weight. Uh, I had done an arm bar under the armpit arm bar. Okay, so back to the story. I told my wife I need to test yeah, yeah. this stuff. Yeah, for sure. So let's go get some bad jobs. So for five years, from the time my baby was born until the time she was four or five years old, I had every shitty job in Stockton and Lodi. I worked at biker bars, cowboy bars. A lot bars. of shitty jobs in Stockton and Lodi. <laughs> a lot. It is the Barbary Coast. It is the Barbary freaking coast. <laughs> it is. Yes, yes. Shootings, killings, everything. And yeah. and so it was, and that's, we had an expression in Stockton. Uh, my green belts can beat up your black belts. It did the shittiest dojo in Stockton. Bread thugs. <laughs> you know, that was just the... the well, because you had to be just to survive to out there. Exactly. You had to be authentic. It had to be real. You had to know what you were doing. So I started bouncing and blah, blah, blah. Um, and had a, a real eye-opener on probably my third week. A guy, I was just asked to take him out. I tapped him on the shoulder, and he spun around to smack me. And I grabbed his wrist, and I tried to put him in an armbar, like I'd done a thousand times in the dojo. Like I'd shown people a thousand times in the dojo. Always work. <laughs> and it could have been spit. It could have been blood. It could have been piss. It could have been puke. But his arm was soaking wet, and I slipped right off of it. And for a second, I was standing there with my back to him with nothing in my hands. <laughs> <laughs> just standing there and everything imaginable he's going to stick a knife in my kidney in in those sec in that second time is irrelevant <laughs> everything is relative and of yeah. course by the time and I you turn, know it's like the most vulnerable position you could possibly be in vulnerable position I could have been in in that moment in that time and I spun around as quickly as I could and of course the other two coolers had him because we never went any, to up to anybody alone, you know and so the other two guys had already grabbed him by the shoulders after he swung at me and after I pulled off of him but that opened my eyes up there's a big difference between, a, yeah, anything, anything in the real street, anything in reality, there's a huge difference, a huge difference. The closest thing is the ring. The closest thing is a professional prize fighting ring. Where somebody is not being a willing participant. Like somebody's not being a willing participant and they need a paycheck to get home and they need to win to get another paycheck and they want to get that more than anything in the world. The, the yep. most I've ever been beaten. That the most I've ever been beat up, the, the most punished I've ever been, the most I've ever punished is in a professional boxing ring. Because once you realize that that other guy is there for his life, <laughs> you're defending your life. Do you know who Randy Tex Cobb is? Uh, you know, it's funny. I've been doing martial arts for a few years, and I'm like so ignorant on all combat sports figures. There's giant gaps in there, but no. Okay, Randy Tex Cobb, Randall Cobb, he fought for the heavyweight title in boxing. He was a kickboxer who crossed over and he fought Larry Holmes for the okay. heavyweight title. I know who Larry Holmes is, obviously. Okay, um, yeah, greatest, the Eastern Assassin, you know, greatest heavyweight yeah. jab sure. ever. Um, and uh, Tex fought him for the title on ABC's Wild World of Sports with Howard Cosell announcing he was the first person that ever went the distance with Larry Holmes, 15 rounds with Larry Holmes. And at the end of that fight, 
Howard Cosell retired. He said he would never do another boxing match because from about the eighth round on, he was shouting for them to stop the fight. You know, I don't know if you know Howard Cosell. This is a travesty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, Cobb yeah, has yeah. no shot. And Cobb had no shot of winning. Cobb was getting up, he was a punching bag, but Holmes couldn't knock him out. And because um, he had been just he was used to getting hit. Randy, Randy. He did, I don't know. Yeah, he had he had a really thick skull, and he was used to getting hit, and he was impossible to knock out. He, you could have knocked him out with a crowbar. You couldn't have. And at the end of the fight, at the end of the fight, the uh, the announcer says, "Do you want a rematch?" And Randy said, "Right now, while the sucker's tired after after being <laughs> after being brutally beaten for 15 three minute rounds." But my very first professional fight was on a card with Randy. And we're sitting back in the... Uh, now, were you, you didn't have to fight him, did you? No, hell no. We were different oh, weight okay, class. I was we, were, say. we were in the same stable. We were in the same okay, stable. We, okay, we were okay. teammates. And he right. was the headliner. And I was like, you know, third on the card. Because I had a really good kickboxing record. And they flew me out to Springfield, Missouri to kind of make it a kickboxing versus boxing match. But then the... Uh, the state athletic commission in Missouri wouldn't sanction uh, what I guess would be a mixed martial art. They wouldn't sanction a crossover fight. Either he had to kick and agree to kick, or I had to agree to keep my feet on the ground and go by the boxing rules. And so I agreed to that. I was what twenty-five-year-old arrogant as all hell. Sure. My hands were good. <laughs> yeah, I could find a boxer. I've heard right, Joe Rogan right. tell the same story, and man, he's reading my mail. Yeah, yeah. When he <laughs> transitioned from uh, taekwondo, taekwondo over to kickboxing, he was Ugliest. like, oh. Ugly. Oh, you mean when you're getting punched in the face? Oh, it makes well, a difference. Well, it's different. It's, he, and so Randy's there and he's getting his gloves laced up. And he said, um, I remember the first time I ever put on a pair of 12-ounce gloves. Three things went through my mind. The first thing that went through my mind is I can feel my knuckles through these things. And the second thing that went through my mind is I could probably kill a man wearing these things. And the third thing that went through my mind is the other guy's got a pair just like him. Yeah. And that's yeah. the, that's, that's, if that isn't available in your martial arts training, then you can't expect it to save your life when you need it. And that one freaking one in a million chance that your day goes sideways. If you haven't had that terror, that fear, that understanding in, 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 in some sort of pressure testing, then you're, you better buy a gun. And you better buy a gun and, and talk to well, yourself. We better buy a gun and learn how to use it. Exactly. And talk yourself into pulling the trigger. Don't just it's like being a dojo. If you're at the range all day shooting a shit that's coming at you on a on a, a string wire, then when somebody big with bad breath is breathing down your nose, that's a whole different thing. You know? Yeah. You gotta be you've gotta talk yourself into being able to pull the trigger. Well, the it biggest gun in the world. On, it depends on what it is you're attempting to do. And right. this is and, and here's an interesting uh, thing that I have, right? Y you have Usually, I find this kind of curious. So I hear I hear a bunch of martial arts people who say oh, guns aren't necessary, <laughs> and I hear a bunch of uh, guys who have tons of guns who say they're in it for self defense, but are fat, overweight, right, right. lazy, and have never stepped on a mat or in a ring in their entire life. And they say they're all about self defense. Right. If you're really about self defense, go for a jog once in a while, take a jujitsu class. Yeah, if you're into holistic stuff. And, 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 and again, this isn't fat phobic. This isn't me being, oh, I, I hate people who struggle with obesity. It's just reality. If you really care about self-defense, get healthy, because that's the, that's the one level of self-defense you can always do is make sure you actually have reasonable fitness and health, and then learn how to use the tools available to you. Oh, and, and if you can't... Go ahead. And if you can't cross a line, you know, like I know some people who they... 
ideologically they support people's right to have guns, but they don't think they could do it. So they just they for them they know that having a firearm is more of a liability than isn't a benefit. I respect that because they recognize okay, I'm not willing to pull a trigger. I'm not going to own one, but I am. I'm going to learn this stuff, and this is this is the judgment call I'm willing to make. That's I think that's a fair fair thing. Also, I think uh, Ramsey Dewey nails it on the head when he, he doesn't like the term self-defense. And because what does that really mean? Yeah, well, I think about the guys in the big, like, goofy suits. Yeah. Oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You remember yeah, within yeah. The, in the mid-90s the, you had uh, these guys? Uh, uh, the red man suit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I did a lot of that. I did a lot of that. I did a lot of women's self-defense where it was all percussive. I did a lot of women's self-defense where it was all jujitsu. You know, trying to feel out um, what is going to work. If you're taking somebody in, realistically, you take somebody for three hours or six weeks, two hours a night for six weeks. What are you, all you can do is teach them a bunch of dirty tricks um, and hope that they're willing to pull that trigger because the biggest gun in the world won't save your life if you're not willing to pull the trigger, you know? But for the most part, self-defense courses uh, misrepresent. Agreed. So after this this awakening that you had working as a bouncer, and uh, definitely give me if you look at the clock and go, oh shit, I gotta go. We'll wrap it up. But I, I think no, I we're, we're go. good. We've been at this for about forty-five minutes, fifty minutes Excellent. or so. Whenever you want to um, go. Yeah, yeah, we're good. Uh, so you had this awakening in, in terms of, well, let me make sure that I communicate accurately what I'm teaching to my students because I tried to do something, it didn't work. What did that do for you, in, in terms of broadening how you approached teaching or anything for that matter? It narrowed how I approach teaching and it, it, um, it limited, uh, my viability as a commercial teacher for absolutely sure. I remember one night after I, we had kicked a couple of kids out for breaking and by kids, I mean college students, you know, they were over 21. Sure, sure, it was, it was sure. at the, this was at the black Angus restaurant in Stockton, which at the time was a huge cowboy bar and line dancing yep. was huge at the time. Yep. Um, and uh, he'd busted out some lights in the bathroom, just obnoxious drunk. And we'd kick them out of the bar. And oh, so they, he was just drunk and he thought it was funny to, to exactly, bust Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Every 22-year-old is some version of an idiot. Um, and this was this guy's uh, manifestation. And so... Yeah, it represents the dojo poorly. And, like, that's the people you're teaching. I don't... You well, know, yeah. well, no, this was in the bar. This wasn't... Sure, a, right. This, but, I mean, like, but here's the thing, though. Like, if... it, it, it And I don't want to be, like, one of those guys that say that, it, you know, like, you owe, like... 24 7 obedience to your sensei like i'm not saying that there is a certain level of well this wasn't a student right oh this wasn't oh no, okay no, I, i'm this, sorry i thought no, this was no. one of your students no 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 no, no, no. Or the, the student will come into play later poor guy okay um so no this was just a kid uh, just a, a drunk college kid who just decided to wreak havoc and we kicked him and his two buddies out we just escorted him to the door and let them out two hours later when we're closing down i'm going to my car and there they are okay well two of them two of them one of them this was wise enough to not hang with them. No matter what happened, it would have been bad for him. And he knew that, you know. Um, and we have an expression in Kung Fu, uh, sometimes you have to kill the rooster to warn the monkey. So when there's more than one attacker, you have to do influential damage. You have to do catastrophic damage. Right. You, you might have to not make be able impression. to really take on all five of them, or if there are five, but if you take out the one dramatically enough that it'll give everyone else pause to if it's scary there's a movie jack reacher and i've never seen the movie but i was walking across the living room when the trailer came on tv and he's standing there with five guys on a bridge and the guy says it's five against one and tom cruise says uh it's three against one 
the other, two, the last two always run. And, and I laughed. I said, he's been reading my diary, you know, because that's, yeah. ex- that's exactly right. That's, that's the concept yeah. of it. You, you cut off the rooster's head. And that's also the litmus test. If you do something absolutely devastating and catastrophic and they don't run away, they must be eliminated. These are psychotic people that you're dealing sure. with. And they will hurt you. Or, <laughs> you know? or, or they have somebody guiding their purpose and there's something deeper going on there. Exactly. That didn't, didn't At that point, you've got to go. So, so uh, these two guys, these two gentlemen, we had an altercation. We had an encounter. After which, the very first thing I did was, but when I got home, because we didn't have cell phones at that point, the very first thing I did when I got home was I called my one brown belt, my senior student, who was a college student at UOP, University of the Pacific. And it was probably four o'clock in the morning by the time, you know, reports and everything, blah, blah, blah. I got up at four o'clock, I woke him up out of a dead sleep, woke him out of a dead sleep. And he said, hello, I go, Chris, I go, Sensei, is everything okay? I go, I just want to tell you it works. And no other explanation. He's like, okay. Are you sure? You okay? <laughs> I go, I just want to tell you it works. And I hung up and went to sleep and slept really fucking good. Because um, <laughs> you knew that you weren't doing any kind of, fa- it's not fantasy. Uh, LARP. No. And again, I know we're referencing Ramsey Dew a bunch, but like there's a point at which it just becomes LARPing. Right. right. It, it is. Live I use that term. Oh, I asked, I use that term because it is. It, and that's okay. Like you said earlier, a half hour ago, you said yeah. it's fine. As long as, as you represent yourself accurately, I don't long care as you own what it. you do. Exactly. As long as you own it. And right. so to, to that end, what are you doing now these days? Or is, or is there something in between you'd like to make sure we touch on? Uh, no. No. Um, we're good. Uh, yeah. I, right you, now. You were talking about wanting to kind of... I remember you and I had an exchange at one point. We were talking about uh, a desire that you had to make more kind of marginalized or whatever people feel accepted in the in uh, the martial arts in, in terms oh. of having an opportunity to be able to actually train in a place that would still respect them. You were talking about the, that one kid when you were real young has two fights. Two fights. You know, and you were, so you were talking about, and I think you and I were having an exchange just after some of the, the George Floyd stuff and stuff, you know, was going on that, um, you wanted to make things more open to, uh, people of color as well as people in the LGBT community, as far as making sure that, Hey, they know what they can come here and test themselves and get stronger and be able to, to, to defend themselves in a way that's consistent with reality. Um, Thank you for you, touching that. Thank is, you. Yeah, is that a, is that a yes? It is. Any and any steps forward on that? Yes, or, or yes. And I I um I hesitated to to bring that up because anything that seems like a plug, um you know I just don't want to get into that. I don't want to say, hey, this is what I'm for doing. Sure. This is what well, I want that's to why do. I, that's yes. why I'm asking. That's yeah, why thank I'm you. asking you. Thank I, you, Josh. I, you know, you you take out your time to yeah, come on the show and to, to talk story with me. I want to make sure that you get an opportunity to promote something that's yes. going to help people. Yes. And what I, I had this concept. The um, it's called Path Power at Hand Network. P A T H. The Power at Hand Network. And yes, because what I see is I see these marginalized communities replicating our desires of the past to be really defensible. That's what self-defense is. It's being really defensible. I'm good because just like you only had great instructors because they needed to be great so that you could be great. I was blessed to have these always in front of me, this great path and, and, and the need to be protected. I grew up in Hollywood. I grew up in predatorial places. Yeah. I don't Um, think people realize by the way, how, shady 
Hollywood is. They Shady think, oh, Hollywood. movie stars. No, what, no, Hollywood is, you, you go into the men's room and you see people shooting up in the stall next insane. to you. Insane, <laughs> insane. I, I, I would walk, to, as a teenager, I would walk the streets of Hollywood, Hollywood Boulevard, Sunset and all that, with just with absolute abandon. No problem. All day, all night. When I went back, after years and years of being away, I went back to Hollywood. I'd been teaching karate for so many years and I could not, I, the first time I walked up Hollywood Boulevard alone at night, I got really funny feelings and I went home and talked to my wife about it because it is dangerous. It's horrible. But these communities you're talking about, yes, what, what, I, what we're doing right now, what we're in the process of doing right now is organizing the steering committee that will put in place the um, the power at hand network. Now, what this is, is we're going to go into marginalized communities, um, lower income communities, LGBTQ communities, uh, Muslim communities, indigenous people's communities. And we're going... And you and I talked a little bit about helping folks with varying disabilities and learning things as well i think just a just a couple of conversation uh, messages back and forth as well right i have had students with down syndrome um okay. and now here in california there is an outstanding program for handicapped individuals for people I don't, we don't use handicapped anymore do we when we say uh, di- what do we use help me People with disabilities. I don't know people. Yeah, no, that's that. right. That's right. Adult, adults yeah. with disabilities. Adults with yeah. disabilities. And um, if I could give a plug to him, Master Marquez. Yeah, for sure. Master. Oh, and, I actually, you know, he uh, sat on my. Um, so, uh, do you know? Uh, I don't want to say his last name because he likes to say it, keep a low profile. Uh, German guy named Mario. Is that name? Sound? No, not no. no okay, but um, so he is one of the 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 instructors I studied with. Uh, Hanchi Marquez actually was on my second degree black belt uh, testing board. Oh, that's for, awesome. that, uh, what an honor. Instructor. What an honor. Yeah. He, that, he, he's definitely, uh, he, he's, he likes to hit hard. <laughs> uh, let me tell you something. Let me t- okay. Okay. So I'm going to tell you this and I'll go back to my story because you don't have to go. Um, yeah. Mark, it's the beautiful Marquez, part about podcasting. No hard deadline. Sensei Marquez, Shihan, uh, Renshi, Roshi. Uh, he, right. Whatever, whatever rank he was at the time he, or he, title. He, yeah. he invited me to be a guest at one of his tests, where he was testing about a hundred of his students, everything ranging from sightless to completely, completely in a wheelchair with a little toggle and using right. one hand to move it, and everything in right. between, several Down syndrome. And the first thing I noticed that was gorgeous was, and I mean gorgeous in, on a holistic level, was there were so many parents that, you know, there were several Down syndrome students that were white belt, green belt, yellow belts, but their moms were brown belts. And, the, and their moms right, were, So their family trained together. That's they cool. trained together. And their purpose yeah, was to learn it so that they could teach their child, so that they could be there with their child. That was their deepest motivation for it. But he had one student that, as I said, a person in a wheelchair, I don't know what exactly the, the uh, you know, myo dysfunction was, but they literally right. could only barely shake their feet and barely move their hands. And they did a kata. And he did a kata where he moved to the left, rolled once to the left, and his arm moved six inches high. And then he turned to the other side, just a basic pinan or a basic uh, pyonghong, whatever. Um, right. And he was doing it. And as he got down the line and he was supposed to do like was a rising block, he got his hands maybe six inches off of the armrests, literally maybe six inches off of the armrests. Right. And um, Sensei Marquez screams, punch higher, you know, uh, kick higher. And then immediately after that, good, excellent. It, if the, it didn't matter if there was any alteration in the... Right. It was something. It was there. And um, and he didn't give them quarter. And I was... I could almost not see through the torrent of freaking tears in my eyes. Sure. Just as sure. this individual 
was doing something that I wasn't sure I was capable of doing. You know, sure. I, I had a student with one arm and I was constantly second guessing myself as to whether or not uh, I was I was being honest with them as far as what my intention is, you know, of training a martial artist. Was sure. I giving them quarter? My Shifu from China, from Taiwan, I apologize, from Taiwan, he was staying with me for a couple of weeks. And um, when he met uh, my student with one arm, I'm not going to say the name because he was a minor, mm-hmm. um, he said, he, afterwards we went home, he said, I, he can't learn all of Kung Fu. He just can't learn it. It's impossible. He didn't think at all of altering the art for the sake of the individual. He just realized that somebody without two arms couldn't do all the talu, couldn't do all the techniques. And well, they so, might be able, not be able to do everything exactly the same, but the th- thing is, is you can adapt. Exactly. You know, I know you have sort of a, I know that you have said you have kind of a love-hate relationship with, with JKD people. <laughs> but yeah. there is, but the one thing that I think is universal, because I think you have good, good apples and not so great apples, um, within that sphere i've been fortunate enough at least with the the jkd people i've trained with personally but the one thing that i think is true if you have people who aren't rigid in it um which kind of defeats the whole point is you adapt you know somebody's martial arts practice relevant to to them i mean obviously the the guy with one arm is he going to be able to do you know uh techniques that require two arms well, obviously not, but can he learn how to fight and defend himself and, and learn warrior philosophy? Hell yeah, he can. And that's the difference. And that's the difference between Master Liu and Master Marquez. And that's yeah. you're exactly right. Um, so let me ask you, do you yeah. have an exclusive uh, class for blind people or for uh, adults with disabilities? I have. So there's a thing that I do right now. Um, every, and it's been really tricky to kind of make it substantively beneficial in the midst of all this yeah you know classes over zoom or what have you um but through uh, i'll just call him shihan mario because he likes to keep a pretty low profile yeah um i started training with him consistently in about 2013 he's also the one who introduced me to brazilian jiu-jitsu beyond my my kempo training but i started training with him and we had we invite everybody to come train specifically though with the uh, concept in mind that we are particularly willing to adapt to people who have a disability. In particular, we have most experience is with people who have visual impairments. So whether somebody is partially sighted or totally blind like myself, we want to make sure that what we teach them is going to be relevant. Now, I think, again, it goes back to that whole representing yourself accurately. I don't think kicks are especially like long range kicks, jumping kicks and all that kind of stuff. I don't think that's going to be really helpful to somebody who is hmm. uh, totally blind as far as self-defense. No. However, might be edifying, whatever it might be. And it's going to help. And I think it's helpful for, for body movement and all that kind of stuff yeah. and for understanding Fitness. martial arts tradition. And then when it comes time to actually applying technique for self-defense, um, you know, it's sort of a hybrid curriculum. So heavily influenced from Tang Sudo and Shotokan and that for some of the heritage side, but that's largely influenced. He's a, a, a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu as well. Uh, and so the program, the self-defense techniques come through jiu-jitsu. And so that's obviously much more applicable to somebody who's totally blind because yeah. you rely on that uh, connection. So we don't was, have did you find just yourself visually impaired people. We don't just have people who have okay. a visual impairment to train with us, but we are particularly suited 
and, and really go out of our way to, to make sure the techniques would also work for somebody who can't see it all. There's going to be a really interesting part of the process because, as you say, the weird circumstances. So I kind of, I put this uh, concept of 100 days, right? Because our new president said 100-day lockdown, 100-day masking, to see what kind of miracles yep. we can make happen. And I love that. I well, love see how com- see how uh, cooperative the citizenry how- is. That's another whole thing. <laughs> I'm going to be, you know, 100%. And in that time, we're, we're setting the stage for the opening of this first uh, uh, cultural dojo, this first um, circle, or, I'm sorry, ultimate circle training hall under the path of banner. Right. And it's going to be very so interesting. To be a more inclusive training environment. Right? It's going to be very interesting because we might start with the exclusively inclusive training uh, program, uh, depending. Well, for example, some of them will be completely exclusive. If we have a Muslim woman who is going right, to and, teach, and it really comes from a really conservative background, of course, that she's not going to do. She's exactly. not going to do jujitsu with a man, right? Exactly. And the, so, so this class, this group, will be exclusively women exclusively women for their training, for training purposes. Um, it's very interesting because I'm seeing. I'll tell you this, the people that do enter the program that are not part of the community are going to be exceptional people. You know, for example, if we have, if we open a, a training hall in West Hollywood and it's run by a transgender woman who's a former SEAL, you know, and some of these transgender males, I should say, um, I wouldn't get in the cage with, man. They're, they're buff, they're built, they're beautiful. They're, right. they're, they're the gender they represent. Okay, so you've got a transgender male now training in West Hollywood, their community, their friends, servicing them. The non, uh, the, the we'll say the allies that go in there are exceptional people. Um, and the right. thing, going back to the, the thing that excites me about these communities from a martial arts instructor standpoint is they are in danger. They, they, the training in Burbank at the YMCA was very different from the training at the uh, Chuck Norris studio in, sure. in Brentwood. You know, those parents weren't paying to get their kids bloodied up. You know, and, and, and our parents were training us to be tough. They, yeah, like I said to somebody the other day, if you had a broken arm, they'd take you to the hospital after that round of sparring was over. <laughs> you know, you didn't quit in those situations. Okay, that mentality applies to every one of the communities. I have a student who is a doctor of religion. She is a African-American woman in her mid-50s. She has a PhD in religion. And hearing her talk about the conversation she had to have when she was 16 to get her license. The conversation she had to have about what would happen if she got pulled over and what she must do. Uh, we talked, you and I talked about this. It right. is insanity. And and so to go into a, a group in the inner city or go into a group of battered women or to go into a group of Muslim women, or to go into a group of LGBT or to go into a group of indigenous peoples and say, you're learning this because the reality is it could go sideways for you. You are, you are, you are less likely to have a completely event-free like, life than I am. And, and, and because of that, I want to give you these tools and I want you to train passionately in this art. And, and also because of those communities, we recognize that these are going to have to be outreach centers as well. Um, the baggage that comes with that is going to have to be addressed as well. We have to have outreach within the dojo, within the community center that we're training to uh, support systems. It has to be a conduit to services. Everything we do has to be a conduit to services because the baggage that comes with the LGBT community that they have to deal with while they're trying to heal, while they're trying to reassemble themselves. Um, 
is going to be great. And we have to, we have to service that. We, what we're trying to do is get volunteers, people from these communities who want to teach martial arts. They've, they've trained maybe for 10 years. Great. Maybe they've, maybe they've trained not at all. Maybe they trained when they were a kid, but they're willing to undergo a regimen. And maybe they want to train in a place where they feel it's safe. Yes. This is a, this is a conversation you and I had the specifics. We'll, we'll keep out of this. Yes. But as far as, there is yes. a question that comes up. I've had a, a conversations with fr- uh, very masculine, I might add, very masculine friends of mine who are either gay or not straight, yes. <laughs> at least, and they don't want anybody at their training gym, especially in jujitsu, to know that they're, you know, not just attracted to women because they're afraid that they're going to get reprisal because people are weirded out by it and, you know, close connections and everything else. You know, nobody's worried that you're going to like get weird when you have a male to female or whatever and that kind of thing. But for some reason, I don't know, like guys are like, I'm going to trip over a crack in the sidewalk and all, all of a sudden, no, oh, I hit my head and now I'm sucking dick. I mean, that's not right. How it works. Right. You know, <laughs> like, you know, I mean, to be, to put it crudely, but that's, no, that's the reality that's of the reality it. And so it. some people that are in that situation, they want to go into a training environment and know that it's safe to train there. And they don't have to hide that, you know, their boyfriend or their husband comes to the, do- the dojo or the gym. They don't want to like, oh, great. Now I'm going to have to worry about getting beat up by my guy, that, my buddy that I've been training with for the last six months. Right. And that honestly, that conversation was what triggered everything. So, um, yes, that conversation triggered everything because I couldn't rest on it. What we are supposed to do, Josh, is we are supposed to create that safe environment where you can be yourself and you can love yourself enough to want to defend yourself and protect yourself. Mind, body, and spirit. Yep. Mind, body, and spirit. If you learn the greatest, if you had the greatest night rolling, you protect your yep. body perfectly. But you can't, you can't be yourself with those people because you're afraid of the repercussions. You, I used to yep. tell my students, I used to tell my students, if you, if somebody calls you fat. And then they throw a punch at you and you catch it, you hit them, you throw them, you sweep them, whatever, you knock them out. And then you go home and you cry because they called you fat. Your karate sucks. Your kung fu sucks. It must protect your mind, body, and spirit. You must protect yourself from anything that can hurt you. If it hurts, if it crushes your soul, it doesn't matter that you choke them out. Shit, they'll be beating you up for the next six months. They'll be beating you up for the next year. Every time you think sure. about him, you're drinking poison. You choked him out. But they called you fat. They called you gay. They said whatever the fuck, whatever, whatever. Right. If you can't protect that aspect of you, so yes. So that gnawed at me. And I decided that there must be a place where badasses can be trained and be themselves. When I was, um, that is a crude story, but I'll tell you when I was, I guess right. I was probably like 10. My father told me this story, this anecdotal. You might have heard it. And, okay. But I was 10. We're talking, this is 1970. Sure. He said that there were these guys going around Hollywood and they were rolling gay men. And they were going into bars, two of them. And they, you know, they'd proposition him and they'd take him out back and then they'd beat him up and they'd roll him. And then they ran across this one gay football player whose name shall also, because it is that he's a professional football player. This is the story of my dad. Right. And, he, and this was back in the day. I mean, yes. they only recently started allowing people in the yes. NFL to be openly yes. whatever, right? It was 1970, right? And so this huge football player was partying at a bar in LA. And, um, and they propositioned him and they took him out back. And he said, we're not going to fuck. 
And they said, no. And he said, well, the only two things I like to do are fight and fuck. And if we're not going to fuck, and then he kicked the shit out of him. And this was a story. <laughs> this is a story that my father told me. And that's what I want to create. That is great. That's beautiful. That is great. That's beautiful. Every single individual that is, that is in that situation needs to be an agent of karma. They need to have Absolutely. the ability to be an agent of karma and handle their own destiny. So, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Um, is there if somebody wants to get involved with all of that, where, where can they go to? And we'll we'll put this in the show notes when the episode gets released. But do Excellent. you have a spot, a way they can get in touch with you to yes. kind of help with this effort? Yes, 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 yes. Um, and also, before I give you that, uh, yeah, we're going to initiate this with a reality video uh, series. We're going to we're we're going to chronicle everything from the interviews of the inter- instructors to the training of the instructors to the location spotting to the opening of the first dojo, and we're going to do all of that on video. And we're going to put it together as a series. Um, I've got excellent directors and, and actors. William Christopher nice. called me today. Um, oh, is is he involved in the yes. project too? And so is oh, uh, Jim, Jim Town. is involved in the project. Okay. Oh, excellent. And um, and if you. Are involved in the project that would make the kind of what I call the star chamber complete because what we're, what we're going <laughs> to well, do. Well, we're not that far away. I'm only in San Diego County, so oh, and, and, and we, a lot we can of the, figure out a way to help. Yeah, a lot of the preliminary stuff is going to be on video anyway, with video submissions, uh, video interviews, and we're going to select certain people from each community. We reach out to each of these communities to with want ads. Uh, effectively to, to, right. to begin this process. Um, but we're only going to be able to start with one or two. As, as many people may want to get involved in this program, we're going to focus on that right. initial pilot program. It has to be commercially viable. It has to have the ability for the owner or the, the teacher to actually gain right. ownership of it, to become a franchise owner as it becomes viable. Um, and yeah, so they have to be able to do everything. They have to be uh, they have to be able to do morning classes of yoga or kickboxing to facilitate income. And then that main body, that's, that, that, that prime time of the dojo will be the crux of the art. You know, if we're in an indigenous community, then we'll have classes in indigenous fighting, uh, Native American styles. But still, the heart of that will be the curriculum that create that we create to create fighters. Um, and then, you know, all of the classical forms of karate, kung fu, or whatever they bring to it, uh, capoeira sure. or whatever, will be peripheral as part of the whole cultural experience. And also, as we said at the beginning, it will become a part of their fighting arsenal if they learn to bang first, if they learn to roll first. Then all of, sure. the, all of the bunkai, all of the kata... Then they can find the applications it becomes in the relevant. and the classical... Exactly, exactly. It all, all fits together like... Uh, Legos that actually work. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So. And so, yes. So that's what we're doing with PATH. And okay, so real Kung Fu So yeah, so if hard. somebody wants to get involved, and, and, and how do they do that? First, make first contact with my email, at, or my biz, the project email, which is real Kung Fu is hard, all one word, real Kung Fu is hard, all lowercase, at gmail.com. Real Kung Fu is hard at gmail.com. And I'll contact them immediately. And if anybody wants to get involved on any level, any... Uh, they want to be an instructor. They want to work in the program. They want to learn once we get in place. That's fantastic. I'd love to hear the stories because, yeah, this is what we're about. This is what we do. You talk about William Christopher. That man. Uh, uh, Love that man. He He, is is, so special. He he is real karate inside and out. Exactly. he He can throw down, but he doesn't. He's not antagonistic. He he's very polite because he understands he doesn't have to prove anything because he knows what he knows. My grandpa used to say, "A full piggy bank don't make no noise." <laughs> and and almost and almost. I love that expression. Oh, That's beautiful. And he, it, it, it expresses him. 
you know, he, um, and he, what he does for the community. And that's the other thing too. That, what, what, which is why we need him so desperately in this project, because he has experience in doing community outreach, in doing fundraisers for very, St. Jude's. I participated with him, you know, in one of his fundraisers. Were, were you part of that Beginner's Mind book? Were uh, you in that? No. No. Okay. No. All right. Because I, I thought because I we did a couple of things with them, and I thought you might have uh, might have been some overlap there. That too. would have been great. I wish, but yeah. So so that's what we imagine. Imagine a dojo that is or training hall that is uh, within a community, run by the community. That is, it doesn't have to be exclusive, but I have a I have an idea that in a lot of areas it's going to be for a while. It's going to be you're you're going to get only exceptional people that are going to go want to go in there. And I mean exceptional, I guess I'm, you know, I'm showing my stripes. I think if you're prejudiced, you're unexceptional. If you're homophobic, you're unexceptional, you know. Um, But if you're not, and if you can come in and you can learn everything. I've, honestly, Josh, I've fired conservative students. I have one, I have one Republican student. And I love him. I love him. To well, death. and here's the thing. Here, here's my whole thing on the the liberal versus conservative, whatever. Because there's some toxic liberals out there, and I'm. Oh, I'm, amen. I, grew up, I might but, be one of them. Yeah. Well, and here, here's the thing, though, right? Um, I, I tend somehow you duped me because I, I don't I don't have toxic people on the show as much as I can help. So far, so far, so far, so good. <laughs> but I, I care. Are you classy in the way you treat people? Amen. You can have a conservative viewpoint, but if you treat people with respect. You know, I, I can work with you. And that's why, and that's I said, my one student is, he's a great guy, you know, and most of them don't, I, I say most conservatives, in my humble opinion, my area, at least that you've experienced, certainly that you've interacted with. My experience is um, they lack the compassion gene, as I say. It, yeah. is, it is a short term consequence thinking. Uh, the last, I, mean, I had a student that was paying me really good money, you know, but never confuse standards of living with quality of life. Um, and we would, he would come in and he would say things like, well, uh, Chicago's got the uh, most strict gun laws in the nation and they've got the highest gun crime. And I'd have to say, okay, do they have sovereign borders? Are people like checking you when you go into Chicago, you know, to see if you've got a gun on you because if they don't have sovereign borders and he would, his final statement would always be, I know, I'm just saying. I know, I'm just saying. But the problem is that short-term thinking mind can catch somebody. What if I'd been the kind of person that, yeah, intellectually lazy and said, yeah, that's right. Hey, they do have the, the tightest gun laws, and uh, but they don't have any control over it. But we know better if we take it past that first initial thought, that talking point, once you take it past that. He remember one time after a stabbing death and he said, well, somebody just killed somebody with a knife. Shouldn't knives be outlawed? As if they think every liberal wants... When my, when my one conservative student came for his private lesson right after the election, as soon as he walked in the door, I said, you know, Antifa contacted me today and they thanked me for all my hard work and they wonder if I wanted to be in charge of the gun collection here in our neighborhood. And he started laughing hysterically because the one thing they're afraid of is us stealing their fucking guns. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but yeah, I guess I went off on a tangent there. The lack- hey, that's all right. Hey, you know what? That's the beautiful thing. We can we can come around, and I think what I what I like about that is it allow, has allowed people to see that you're a real person. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm right? a real flawed person. So so I mean, like the the, the thing is, and I I think we're we're kind of coming up on the end of this, but I, I think that what's what's beautiful is, is that you're you're. You know, you, you put out on Facebook yesterday, I think it was, you know, that, you know, like you have no filter and you're opinionated. <laughs> that's OK. That's OK, because I don't one of the things we like on this show is we like authenticity. And if I'm going to have you know, I didn't know anything about you 
other than that, you know, Sensei Ford was a was a fan of yours, and that he, you know, he spoke highly of you. And that, that humbles me. Uh, I just have to get that. Uh, out. Yeah, and, and then then also just seeing the authenticity in your posts and in, in everything you did, and that's, you know, the fact that you're a real person. You're trying to do some good with this. Um, We're gonna do know, some. Who good knows what will come of it? Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So we're way in so over. Again, head. one more time. G- give me that, e- that email. Real Kung Fu is hard at gmail dot com. Real Kung Fu is hard at gmail dot com. R e a l k u n g f u. It's hard. But what does Kung Fu mean? Kung Fu means hard work well done. You know, yep. Kung Fu, that's what it means. It means excellence. If you grow the biggest tomato, your Kung Fu is strong. Um, you know, your Kung Fu is strong, Joshua. Yeah, we can do this. It, we're in way over our heads. But once we get the ball rolling, I know that the universe is going to take over and all we have to it, do. It's an admirable uh, thing. And I think you put something of substance of real value that that's genuinely helping people. Enough people will, will dig what you're doing and, and come alongside. Mere mouth to God's ear. Next time, let's talk about God. Yeah. <laughs> I have oh, just, we didn't even get into that. I've hey, discovered you heard the all meaning my pod- of life. Was it 42? No. I don't know. Maybe. But like I said, the three things I'm bad at, math and science. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if it's 42, but I know it's to serve and to thrive. I know that for a fact. I know, I know that the, the, the purpose of life is to serve and to thrive. And I've, I've, wa- I've learned that by watching life, by watching life, not watching humans. And I had one student challenge one time and said, serve what? Life? What else have we got? What have we got to serve? An, a, a, a phantom, a phantasm, a concept? I have a very impersonal God. I have a God, but it's a very impersonal God. But to serve and to thrive is, is the essence of all life. Why thrive? Why should you be selfish, altruistically selfish? A withered carrot doesn't feed anybody. And an emaciated cow gives no milk and makes no meal. So everything. One of the most spiritual things I ever saw was a... Uh, a ranks my top five, was a Jamaican um, sheep herder who, who mm. took care of his sheep like they, he was their, they were his god, everything. He played with them like they were puppies and he cuddled with them until he had to slaughter them. And then when he slaughtered them, he gave thanks for everything. But he made sure until that had, to, until it had to serve, until it, was, it stayed to serve, he made sure that that animal thrived. And as humans, it's incumbent upon us to ensure that we thrive. But we have to know our purpose to serve. You know, I say when something tragic happens or when something um, influential happens, like our conversation, something life-altering like our conversation, that very first one we had, I say, don't look for a reason, give it a purpose. Looking for a reason is passive. That's like, oh, please, God, give me some insight. No, come on, give it a purpose. This happened and so now I must. This happened so now I can, or whatever. You know, and so that's what this is all driven by. I know I ramble. Thank you, my friend. No, that's all right. That's all right. And as always, everyone, adventure is a state of mind. How you live it is up to you. <laughs>